Hello, Penn Medicine, and welcome to the Well-Focused Podcast. I'm Mitch Sherman, and today we have Dr. Benjamin Kuberberg, who is the Chief of Endocrinology at Pensy. Ben, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, thank you for being here. This is definitely um, a very fun topic I'm looking forward to diving into. Um, but, you know, before we dive into that, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your background and what you do here at Penn. Well, um, I've been at Penn since 2010, and um, my practice is seeing patients strictly at Pennsylvania Hospital. I do general endocrinology, but within that, I've got a focus in thyroid disorders and thyroid cancer. Um, but, but like I said, I still do see all you know wide array of endocrine disorders. I've been the chief of endocrinology for I think about three years. And in addition to that, I've also, um, I also have the responsibility of what's called the, the uh, regional director of endocrinology for PMMG, you know, which is basically what we used to call CA, meaning the uh, various endocrine uh, practices that are part of Penn, but not not part of CPUP, like at Valley Forge, uh, Cherry Hill, Woodbury Heights, Princeton. Um, are all practices that I help sort of oversee, um, recruit for, and um, support the, the providers. Very cool. So you're a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, all the more appreciative that you took the time to join the podcast. Now, you know, amidst all of that work you're doing, the patients you're seeing, the work you're doing as the manager for the region, uh, there, there is one patient that you had a particular experience with that has been profiled for our Penn Medicine Experience Story Share. Uh, yeah. Do you want to touch a little bit about that experience before we dive into it? Sure. It's an experience that was uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago that basically there was a patient I was seeing for diabetes. And as unfortunately isn't so uncommon, um, blood sugars had been elevated, were getting increasingly difficult to control with the medications that we were already using. Um, and it seemed to me the next best step was gonna be to uh, start this patient on insulin. This is actually uh, not unusual. Uh, you know, we, we turned to insulin relatively early in advanced diabetes, meaning, you know, blood sugar is just, you know, very difficult to control a lot sooner these days than might have been done decades past. And sometimes that shift in the medical community is ahead of the lay community. So it's, you know, uh, what we might think of as a, a normal next step is sometimes strikes people as aggressive or shocking, partly because moving to insulin obviously means moving to injections uh, from oral medications, although there are, are increasingly used non-insulin injectable medications, but, but also for many people, just the idea of insulin feels as if we're moving to, you know, there, there's feelings of failure or fear of what's coming and complications. So that was sort of the, the, the situation as a patient. I didn't know that well, we hadn't had many interactions and, you know, she was clearly resistant. Um, believe she had had relatives, again, decades, decades past, who were started on insulin well late into their diabetes, meaning they were already heading towards significant complications, probably amputations. And again, that used to be much more common in the past, is that uh, doctors would 
use insulin as a as an end game, you know, uh, treatment as opposed to let's get this on early so as to prevent those things from happening. And so for some people, there is that kind of immediate association as like, oh, if I go on insulin, I'm headed towards dialysis soon, or I'm going to have a you know a, a foot amputated soon. And try as I might to sort of explain that it's the opposite that we're you know trying to be aggressive upfront to stave off those you know, dreaded uh, complications, it wasn't going well. I just wasn't making any headway in sort of you know, getting my point of view across. And I feel like I was maybe pushing you know, statistics or evidence in a way that, again, wasn't forming a connection in a patient who I already, didn't already have a good connection with. Sometimes I've you know, been seeing patients for many years, and so there's a certain degree of, of trust that, oh, you know, this is, we, we've worked through this, or this is what's going on, and it was just, you know, coming to a bit of an impasse in the room and, and uncomfortable. And I really expected that, you know, she would, would, would just say no. And, and, uh, and all after sort of a, a very awkward um, moment of silence in, in the room, she kind of, I saw her glancing at my ring, uh, my wedding band, and she looked up, at me, looked up at me and said, you know, is that Hebrew writing on your wedding band, which it happens to be. So I said, yeah, that is Hebrew. Uh, and then she was asking me, well, tell me what it says. Uh, so it happens to be a, a few words from a song, uh, Solomon, from the Bible, and uh, in Hebrew what it means is, I am to my beloved as my beloved is to me. Um, and it was really kind of a magical moment for me, and, and I guess for her, because um, as soon as I told her about that, she really, at the, at the moment, like, the, the whole diabetes and medical issue sort of disappeared for a moment. <laughs> And she really got excited uh, and she started telling me how she loves that poem. She loves Song of Solomon. Um, and and for you know a time we managed to just sort of focus on, on talking about that and talking about the meaning of religion to her, meaning of religion to me, you know, how we both derive some strength and, and community from faith. And I and I and I recognize, you know, <laughs> let's not push that, you know, let's let's uh work on this this uh connection because I think this is what's more important right now. And so I sort of, you know, at the end of the visit, without, you know, really mentioning insulin, just said, like, let's, let's meet again in a few months. And, and she said, you know, I wasn't, I really wasn't going to, um, but now I look forward to it. Uh, so that, that was essentially the, you know, for me, sort of a very interesting, um, you know, way of finding connection to a patient, you know, still deeply caring for her health, but, you know, able to, I guess, help her in a way that, you know, it wasn't going the way I'd intended or sort of a, through, you know, a unintended route. <laughs> yeah, getting to A to C by way of B kind of kind of thing. But, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a really cool story. Now, are were you and the patient the same religion? No, no, I'm Jewish uh, and she was Christian. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm Jewish myself, too, so okay. <laughs> tip the calf uh, or the yarmulke. But um, but that that's a really cool story. And I really love that, you know, despite the different religions there, you're able to sort of find common ground, which is really what I wanted to talk about here. Yeah. Um, obviously, you could talk about medicine all day, but this is a pretty unique story. And I, I think a lot of people yeah. can get something out of this because, you know, especially today where I feel like there's a lot of division in society, having a story yeah. where people from different beliefs quote unquote i'll say different beliefs because i do feel like there's a lot of overlap in religion like you said um but having this as a way to look hey maybe we're 
not so different than we think, despite, you know, how we might view things. And, you know, I was curious if you guys talked at all about that and, you know, what you had in common amongst this, this song or poem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's uh, a lot of overlap in, in Judaism and Christianity in terms of ancient texts. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that Song of Solomon happens to be, I mean, it's really a beautiful kind of romantic story. And there's some, you know, I guess people will debate whether it's about, you know, relationship with between two people or a person and God. We we both just sort of love the, the, the writing of it and the flower, you know, it's, it's a lovely uh, um, read. And, you know, obviously I, I, I wear it on my finger. <laughs> I've been wearing yeah. it since 2000. And um, she, you know, told me how much um, her, her family's involved in her church and how, how it's a place for her of, uh, of belonging. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't so much of a, like a belief in God meeting or you know moment it was more like a yeah. how, how does you know how does religion get you through hard times um and, and good times too and yeah I, I think that at that moment it was a lot of common ground there's a lot of like uh we're getting similar things from like you said something that's that's on the face different but but deep down many similarities yeah for sure and, and you know you mentioned before that religion not always about believing in god in this situation but sense of belonging a sense of instilling values um is that how you view religion do you have is there other roles that religion plays in your life yeah so, i mean full disclosure i was a religion studies major in college oh cool so, so I, I happen to have kind of a passion for for studying religion um and so <clears throat> so for me it, it runs a very wide gamut and actually uh we send our kids to uh, religious schools, um, and so I, I, I think I personally have a, a very like complicated relationship with religion. In, in that, like, I I love both the academic pursuit of it, which tends to be more secular slash analytic, and at the same time, I love the I love being for me for being at synagogue, oftentimes for the the community experience, for the discussions, for for the support. Again, I, I do think that. Uh, at least I, mean, I can't speak so much for other religions, but for Judaism, there's so much built in to support people through hard times. It's mandatory to get together to pray. <laughs> it's mandatory to get together when someone's passed away. You know, to the, the way we, you know, you have to when someone has died, you have to go to their home for a week. Certain things that I think just you're you're forced to to provide comfort that that I I'm, I believe you know it does exist <laughs> across many religions. I can only really like speak for the experiences I've had that I think serve a great purpose uh and again I, I think that many people going through those rituals going through those um you know commandments don't necessarily ponder every moment is there a god what form is god taking <laughs> mm -hmm. um but rather are you know just benefiting from that connection could not have said it better myself um i obviously cannot speak for other religions my experiences communicating with one of my closest friends who's Muslim. Um, my girlfriend grew up going to Catholic school. I, at least in Philadelphia, I'd say all of my friends are not Jewish. My friends in New York, a lot of them are Jewish. I met them <laughs> through a Jewish organization uh, in college. But, you know, as you said, it's not always about the God aspect. It's about a sense of community. It's about a sense of establishing values and maybe the discussions that take place and for you to learn something from there. Now, maybe if you were to take 
a step back and look at it from a thousand foot view, yeah, I mean, I guess it is under the umbrella of, you know, this God aspect, but it doesn't always have to be that way for everybody to to get what they want or need out of it. Um, now, I, I kind of think about going back to kindergarten and learning the golden rule of treat everybody the way you want to be treated. And, you know, whether or not you get that from kindergarten or if you get that from religious school or if you get that from the conversations at synagogue or, you know, whatever, a church, a mosque, whatever you might go to, um, it kind of seems like you're getting very, very similar messaging, but just in a different presentation. And really, that could be the primary goal that religion poses, um, or at least in sort of a Venn diagram where there's overlap, where maybe some people obviously get other things from it, but there is that overlap where that is what a lot of people get from it and the role it plays in their lives. Yeah, yeah. I, um, again, these are things that, that truly fascinate me and that yeah. <laughs> I, I, I spend a lot of my like leisure time reading about. Um, uh, I, I don't know why. It's, all, it's always just, just deeply fascinating me, like, you know, what it is. Um, I, I think one thing that I, I spend a long time thinking about is, is just how people can, in some ways, take different messages from the same texts. Mm -hmm. You know, some, I think that's sort of what's, what's kind of fascinating, at least from, I believe from, from Judaism, Christianity and, and Islam, at least, is just the, <laughs> the degree of interpretation. You know, so I think yeah. that sometimes we have similar passages that are, are read entirely differently. Um, and so, in a way, yeah, in a way we have all sort of like some, yeah, simple messages, but then some things are, you know, what's fascinating is when things seem pretty straightforward or black and white, you know, you look through centuries of analysis and centuries of debate and suddenly people are reading things or adding in stories that maybe, you know, either give a deeper picture or completely change the picture. Um, and then, uh, then, then you sort of have like splinters in a way, you know, it's, it's a different groups with, even within the same religion are, are seeing things very differently. And again, I, I, like I said, I think sometimes people are just, you know, getting something very simple, very, very sort of, you know, primal of the group, you know, of the, uh, the, there's a, a great book that, that maybe you've read uh, called Sapiens. Um, I think it's about 10 years old. Uh, I've heard but, of it. I haven't gotten to yeah. it yet. I, I've been sort of a, a proselytizer for this book. Um, it, it's I would describe it as sort of like a biography of humanity, like starting with evolution of you know Homo sapiens, like you know how did how did Homo sapiens sort of like come out you know uh, on top of all the other Homo uh, species, um, and then and then really expanding into the development of communities, you know, and how was it that people went from small groups to larger groups. Um, and what's very interesting is that really the um, one of the conclusions is that it all boils down to shared stories, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, I will do anything for my sibling, parents, cousin, you know, immediate group. But how do you suddenly have 500 people that have like a reason to stick up for each other, a reason to fight with each other, a reason to care about each other? Um, and, you know, they believe a lot of it was that, well, when you have something that you share a story, then suddenly you feel a connection to those people that otherwise, you know, and we, we look at that, you know, in our community, whether it's people of your country or of your political party or of your hospital you work at, you know, suddenly you have something in common 
that connection you feel is, is fascinating because in a way you could say, well, it's artificial and yet it's real. You know I mean? Whatever, whatever the, the true origin is, our, mm-hmm. our minds latch onto that. Um, and there's a famous book, you know, um, uh, life is with people. Uh, cause really that, that's, you know, I think that most people, you know, there's some, some people like to be alone, but I think that, mm-hmm. you know, most people, and obviously we saw during the pandemic, how, how kind of devastating it was for mental health because that isolation really, uh, exacerbated underlying anxiety, depression. Um, most people really thrive from community. Again, I think we've seen that historically and in, into the present day. It's just that the powerful, a powerful thing. For sure. And I think that it is important that we focus on, you know, those shared stories, especially in a world where anti-Semitic crimes are on the rise. Uh, even the last few weeks, there's been a, a series of Muslim men that are being killed in New Mexico, which is terrible. But it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you know, obviously that story has not been, you know, confirmed about the cause of that. But, you know, the initial thought is these are hate crimes. And right. it's focusing on the differences rather than the similarities and therefore destroying any possibility of connection like you had in your scenario with your patient. And, you know, when you talk about treating patients, you know, kind of segueing a little bit, it is important to find these connections, whether it's from religion or from something else, because as you said, you were talking about, you know, statistics and, you know, the prognosis and the different out- outcomes. Um, and things like that. And it wasn't until you had this completely unmedical connection that yeah. you really made a breakthrough. And my background is in exercise science and working with athletes, working with patients, things like that. And I think the best piece of advice I've ever gotten is when you're working with somebody, it doesn't know, it doesn't matter how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you want to touch a little bit on that, I'd be curious about, you know, your take on that. Obviously, you have this experience with it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a, a lovely way of putting it. Um, people really, I, again, everyone's different. Um, and some people are, you know, give me the facts, doc. <laughs> you know, like uh, some people want to know, like, what if I take this medicine, what is the what is my percent reduction risk in this? But but that's not, I think, common. I think it's true. If one of the biggest problems we often face in seeing patients is the computer, um, because the whole chart is on the computer, right? And so the the setup of an exam room now is I've got the patient next to me, but I'm I've got the computer in front of me, and so I have this delicate uh, challenge of connecting with the patient, but also reading their chart and trying to chart, meaning like trying to write my notes and put in order everything I need to do as part of the same 15 minute visit. (laughs) And, and I do, I think, I think that showing that you care is an extra challenge when you, when you're not even necessarily making eye contact the whole time, I can sometimes completely divorce myself from the computer and just completely look at someone. And then I know that as soon as the visit's over, I have 10 minute extra work that's going to have to go into finishing that up, which, you know, you multiply that by 20 by the end of the day. And it's yeah. a mountain work that he's going to keep me work or like I'll be doing once the kids are in bed. <laughs> and so th- there's days when I, that's just a, a, a natural like consequence of making those connections or whatever it is. And other days when I feel like, no, I, I really, you know, can't have all this work tonight. And I, I really focus on, on wrapping up my notes basically like while the patient's in the room. 
And I'll have patients, you know, tell me like, oh, I, I really, you know, I didn't like such and such doctor because they never looked at me once, you know, like the entire visit, they were staring at the computer. Um, and I know that I really try hard not to be that doctor, but I also totally relate to that. I, I, I uh, <laughs> empathize with that doctor because I know what they're going through. And, and really the, you know, the, the model is that you will have like completed the visits when the patient leaves the room, meaning the charts closed, meaning you have... Mm -hmm finish your note, done all your orders, everything's sent off, you sent a letter to the, you know, the uh, primary physician, and it's a, a real challenge to, like, like you said, to, to form in that connection. I, I think it just, and, and I think that, you know, as increasingly for, for younger, you know, people coming into medicine these days, I just think as kids growing up, I mean, I grew up with computers around me, but it wasn't the same thing as kids who were growing up connected, you know, glued yeah. to screen all the time. Um, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what, what that evolves into. Again, part of, part of why I love medicine is that I love people and I love talking to people and, and, and I, and I do love deviating from the, necessarily the, the primary purpose of the visit. <laughs> My wife's often chatting me saying like, well, how do you have so much time to chat about this and that? And I said, well, that's, that's part of the fun. You know, that's part of like, the reason I, I enjoy this is because, you know, it's not just like, okay, your blood sugar is this and this, change this to, you, you know, in three months, it's a. Uh, you know, how are you? How have things been? You know, and, and oftentimes I, we've talked about my kids, their kids, jobs, you know, retirements. Most of what we manage in endocrinology are chronic disorders. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it's not like surgery or certain specialties where it's kind of like, okay, I fixed this problem. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, now your primary will take care of this. Most things I'm taking care of, uh, I'll be seeing people maybe for their whole lives. And there's something for me wonderful about that because it's it's over the years that you really enjoy seeing. I mean, there's always like the fun of the new patient in the challenge, you know, like the the what the puzzle, the what's going on, the what test do I order, getting to the bottom of it, you know, what is the best course of treatment, and 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 establishing you know course of treatment. I'll never forget when I was a medical student, uh, I had an attending um, who was a pediatric neuro oncologist. So he's taking care of kids with brain tumors. And he said that one of his favorite parts of what he did was giving the diagnosis to the parents and to the child. Now, obviously not because he enjoys telling people he had cancer, but because it's such an incredibly hard thing to do. You know, I mean, I could never do something like that because I get choked up just thinking about it. Yeah. And I, that's part of what made him amazing is that he knew that he was doing something incredibly difficult and he had a gift for it. And again, while I do something completely different in medicine, uh, I think about that a lot, you know, just taking on that, that challenge, you know, that is important. Someone has to do it. You know, Someone has to say, this is what the story is. And I have the experience and I have the, the, the background, the education to, to manage it, to, to be the person that's going to take, take you through this. And it's a challenge. I think if you don't enjoy that challenge, it's going to show, you know, you're not, you're not going to give patients that trust. You know, they're not going to feel in your hands, in competent hands. Um, and so, you know, again, it's, it's taken a couple of decades, but I think now that story really, you know, it's, it's always stuck with me, but it, like, it, it takes on increasing resonance for me. Every time I'm, I'm, I'm seeing someone and, and sort of building that, that relationship. And then ideally like seeing it through you know, well, now it's been at least 12 years. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, I imagine at the root of it, everybody that goes into medicine wants to do it in some capacity for helping people. And if you didn't care about those people, you probably wouldn't be interested in helping them that much. So it makes sense why you're interested in having those conversations where your wife is like, how did you have time for all of that when you're asking right. about kids' birthdays or graduations or retirements or whatever? Um, when I was applying for grad school, I one of the uh, essay prompts was how does improving an injury help improve the human experience? And really it made me think about how debilitating these physical ailments can be, whether it's uh, something from diabetes, as you alluded to, whether it's somebody with low back pain, and it's just how it limits them outside of just movement, but socially as well, and, and the impacts that that can have. And it really helped me approach each patient, each client I've had differently. Um, and that'll definitely always stick with me because, again, it's not always about the X's and O's per se, but rather yeah. how you're communicating that and how you're listening. Um, now, as I wind down these podcasts, I always like to ask a fun question, either pertaining yeah. to the topic or not, that the guest is not prepared for. Um, <laughs> this question is sort of pertaining to the topic, but it's very simple. Um, what is your favorite holiday and why, religious or not? Favorite holiday? Huh. Boy, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, a couple jump to mind. So to okay, you can say more than <laughs> one. I know sometimes it's hard to pick one. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I think that in a way, like Thanksgiving jumps out like immediately, just because. Um, I mean, my wife and I love cooking, and we love cooking together, yes. and we love cooking for people, and and so and we love like cooking, you know, getting. Like Thanksgiving, we usually get the whole family involved in the kitchen and, and usually make at least two turkeys if we have enough people and, you know, each a different way. So it's just fun eating and we love, we love eating, obviously. But, but I, I think that in recent years, uh, I have to say maybe Passover. Um, so again, that's the, I know, I know you know, <laughs> the Jewish holiday commemorating um, when you know, Moses or when the, when the Jews had to, uh, had to flee. Uh, Egypt. Part of it is because a big part of the holiday is teaching the children. You know, it's it's really like what part of what we say during the the seder during the the, the family meal is how important it is to teach the children, and, and we discuss the different ways that children learn. My father-in-law uh, takes this very seriously, and and for many years. Um, would always, you know, put a lot of effort into thinking about what he was going to say during the Seder and then also creating games to engage the children that I, I was always very impressed by um, and thought it was so wonderful. And so in recent years, I've, I've kind of like when we're doing Seder ourselves or even sometimes with with uh, our parents, I've sort of taken on that mantle. Um, and I love sort of that challenge. And it, it often really is a challenge because, I mean, my kids range in age from eight to 16. And it's it's tough, you know, it's tough engaging such an age range. And sometimes we're hosting families with, you know, kids that are even older and younger. Um, and there's so much, I mean, there's so much to unpack. There's so much to discuss. There's so much involved. <clears throat> and so, and, and, you know, and there's a lot of food involved. <laughs> even though it's a limited menu, <laughs> so, you know, can't have all the bread. Uh, but it's still, that's, that's part of the challenge, you know, is how do we make things delicious? I always tease my wife because, October, we'll be eating something and she'll say, this would be a great Passover dessert or Passover dish. And I'll say, <laughs> who thinks of Passover in October? But she does. My and mom's it's the same way. <laughs> um, I just didn't grow up that way. But, uh, 
but it is it's fun it's fun sort of like uh thinking like what's going to be like a, a great menu and so that, that whole the whole package of just like you know family together uh a long drawn out meal with lots of talking lots of discussion maybe some fun you know games quizzes uh engagement it usually makes for a really fun time those are some great answers and for uh for some great reasons and from a great guest uh thank you so much for being on the well focused podcast this has been an awesome conversation that I've really enjoyed. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it too. Um, and uh, we have a great day.